you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Derek Broaddus had just finished up a painting project at his new home in Westfield, New Jersey, when he went outside to check the mail. Derek and his wife, Maria, had closed on the six-bedroom house at 657 Boulevard three days earlier and were doing some renovations before they moved in. It was June 2014, so I imagine it being a warm, humid night as Derek strolled over and reached into the mailbox to find a few bills and a white, card-shaped envelope. It was addressed in clumsy, almost awkward handwriting to the new owner. The typed note inside began friendly enough. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, Allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. But as Derek kept reading the letter from his new neighbor, it took a dark turn. How did you end up here? The writer asked. Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? The letter continued. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. The envelope had no return address. Who am I? The author wrote. There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends, welcome. Let the party begin. The letter was signed in a cursive font, The Watcher. In the weeks that followed, these messages from the Watcher grew more and more bizarre and threatening. Who was the so-called Westfield Watcher? While the Broaddus family maintains to this day that an unhinged and dangerous neighbor must have sent the unsettling letters, others believe that the Broadduses may even have created the Watcher themselves. Stay with us as we explore the terrifying letters of the neighborhood stalker known as the Westfield Watcher. I'm Jaden McKell, and you're listening to Straight Up Enigmas.
Derek and Maria Broadus were extremely excited to move into their dream home at 657 Boulevard in the wealthy town of Westfield, New Jersey. Located about 45 minutes from New York City, the town of Westfield is a sleepy suburb where, according to All That's Interesting's Megan Lizcombe, the biggest gossip before The Watcher was the collapse of a local Trader Joe's roof. Residents viewed Westfield as a real-life Mayberry, the fictional small town that served as the setting of The Andy Griffith Show. The website Neighborhood Scout listed it as one of the top 30 safest communities in America in 2014, although the suburb's history isn't entirely free of tragedy. In 1970, a man named John List murdered his wife, mother, and three children in their home in Westfield. But for most people in Westfield, the Broadduses included, that horrifying crime had since become a distant memory, and they felt safe in their community. That is, of course, until they received the first letter from The Watcher. The unknown author wrote, 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. The letter identified the Broaddus' Honda minivan, as well as the workers renovating the home. Quote, I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be, the person wrote. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. Earlier in the week, Derek and Maria had gone to the house and visited with their new neighbors, while their children, who were 5, 8, and 10 years old, ran around the backyard with other kids from the neighborhood. The letter writer seemed to have noticed. Quote, You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. The author then asked if there were more on the way. The letter also said, I asked the woods to bring me young blood, and it looks like they listened, referring to the house's previous owners. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family, or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. It was late, after 10 p.m., when Derek Broaddus found and read this first letter. Derek was alone and, understandably, very rattled. He ran around the house, turning off lights so no one could see inside, then called the Westfield Police Department. An officer came to the house and recommended that Derek move a piece of construction equipment from the back porch in case the watcher tried to throw it through a window. Derek raced back to his wife and kids, who were still living at their old home in Westfield. That night, Derek and Maria wrote an email to John and Andrea Woods, the couple who sold them the house, to ask if they had any idea who the watcher might be. Andrea Woods replied, saying that a few days before moving out, they had gotten a letter from the Watcher. 
The note also mentioned the Watcher's family observing the house over time, but Andrea said she and her husband had never received anything like it in their 23 years in the house and had thrown the letter away without giving it much thought. That day, the Woodses went with Maria to the police station, where Detective Leonard Lugo told her not to tell anyone about the letters, including her new neighbors, most of whom she had never met, and all of whom were now suspects. A lot of what we know about this terrifying story comes from an article written by New York Magazine's Reeves Wiedemann. He sat down with the Bradas family, who reported that they spent the next few weeks on high alert. Derek canceled a work trip, and whenever Maria took the kids to their new house, she would scream their names if they wandered into a corner of the yard where she couldn't see them. When Derek gave a tour of the renovation to a couple on the block, he froze when the wife said, it'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. The Broaddus' general contractor arrived one morning to find that a heavy sign he'd hammered into the front yard had been ripped out overnight. The second letter from the watcher arrived two weeks after the first. Maria had stopped by the house to look at some paint samples and check the mail. She recognized the thick black lettering on a card-shaped envelope and called the police right away. This time, the letter was addressed to the Broadduses by name. The watcher wrote, The workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time they will. The Watcher listed the Broaddus' three kids from oldest to youngest, and he knew their nicknames, the ones Maria had been yelling. I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. The letter asked about one child in particular, whom the writer had seen using an easel inside an enclosed porch. Quote, is she the artist in the family? When Derek and Maria had a detective walk around the house, they showed him that the easel on the porch was hidden from the street by some bushes, making it difficult to see unless someone was behind the house or right next door. Now, the rest of this letter is just truly disturbing. To help set the tone, I've asked the incredible Edward October of the YouTube show OctoberPod to read the rest of the letter for us. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. 
All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the Watcher, and I have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on, and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Braddis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy move-in day. You know I will be watching. Derek and Maria stopped bringing their kids to the house. They understandably felt panicked and always on edge around their new neighbors, whom they saw as potential stalkers. They were no longer sure when or if they would move in. Then, several weeks later, a third letter arrived. Where have you gone to, the watcher wrote. 657 Boulevard is missing you. Pretty much right after receiving the first letter, the Broadduses began to investigate. They were working closely with Westfield police, who instructed them not to tell any of their neighbors about the Watcher. When Maria and Derek were invited to a barbecue across the street, welcoming them and another new homeowner to the block, they kept quiet about the letters. They found themselves scanning the party for clues, while trying to keep an eye on their kids, who ran completely oblivious, laughing and playing through the crowd of suspects. At one point, Derek was talking with John Schmidt, who lived two doors down, when Schmidt told him about the Langfords, who lived between them. Peggy Langford was in her 90s, and several of her adult children, all in their 60s, lived with her. The neighbor, John Schmidt, described the family as a bit odd but harmless. He said that one of the younger Langfords, Michael, who didn't work and had a beard like Ernest Hemingway, was kind of a Boo Radley character. He had been diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young man, and he sometimes spooked neighbors when he did strange things like walk through their backyard or peek into the windows of homes that were being renovated. This bit of gossip really caught Derek's attention. The Langford house was right next to the easel on the porch. The family had lived there since the 1960s, when the watcher's father, the letters said, had begun observing 657 Boulevard. Richard Langford, the family patriarch, had died 12 years earlier, and the current watcher claimed to have been on the job for the better part of two decades. For Derek, it was case closed. But when the Broadduses told Westfield Detective Lugo about the family, he said he already knew. In fact, a week after the first letter arrived, he brought Michael Langford to police headquarters for an interview. Michael denied knowing anything about the letters, and his family vouched for him, saying there was no way he would write such threatening notes. 
But according to Wiedemann's reporting for New York Magazine, the narrative of what Michael said matched things mentioned in the letters. We'll be back right after this. This episode is made possible by Best Fiends. Now that everything is finally getting back to normal this summer, I am so looking forward to enjoying time with friends I haven't seen in a while. In fact, my husband and I took a road trip this summer to visit family, and Best Fiends was the perfect travel companion. Best Fiends is the five-star rated mobile puzzle game that is super fun and refreshing, just like summertime. You don't need Wi-Fi to play Best Fiends, so you can take it everywhere. I didn't have to worry about internet connection while we were traveling, or while I was sitting out by the pool relaxing. I got to soak up the sun while trying to defeat the devious slugs and collect more of my favorite cute characters. Seriously, the makers of Best Fiends have created a whole world right on my phone. It's got fun music and it's bright and colorful with great graphics. It's full of fun, challenging puzzles, and it's a nice breather from the heavy true crime world. With thousands of fun puzzles to solve, there's something new every day. I'm on level 888 right now, so I've got plenty more to go. Make the most of your summer downtime and spend some time with your favorite fiends. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. However, there wasn't much hard evidence, and after a few weeks, the police chief told the Broadduses that there wasn't much the department could do. Desperate for answers, Derek set up webcams in 657 Boulevard and spent nights crouched in the dark watching to see if anyone was observing the house. He even made a map displaying when each of the neighbors had moved in, with overlays marking possible sight lines for the easel and a circle for approximate range of earshot to estimate who might have heard Maria yelling their kids' names. Only a few homes fit both criteria. The Broadduses also enlisted a slew of experts to help them investigate. They employed a private investigator who staked out the neighborhood and ran background checks on the Langfords, but didn't find anything significant. Derek reached out to the real-life FBI agent who inspired the character of Clarice Starling in Silence of the Lambs, with whom he was on a school board of trustees. The Broadduses also tapped former FBI agent Robert Lenahan to do a threat assessment on the letters. His analysis showed that the writer was likely an older person, based on vocabulary and their habit of double-spacing after a period. He also noticed a lack of profanity, which was surprising given the level of anger in the letters. Maybe he wondered the Watcher had seen The Watcher, starring Keanu Reeves as a serial killer who stalks the detective trying to catch him. Lenahan concluded that the letter writer didn't appear overtly threatening, but their obviously erratic thoughts could suggest that they were unpredictable. There was also a seething anger directed at the wealthy in particular. The Watcher was upset by the Broaddus' renovations on the house. Here's a direct quote from the letters. 
The house is crying from all of the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old and so did my father, but he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. Lenahan recommended looking into former housekeepers or their children. Perhaps the watcher was jealous that the Broadduses had bought a home that the writer couldn't afford. Throughout all this, the focus remained on the Langfords. Detective Lugo brought Michael Langford in for a second interview, but got nowhere, and his sister, Abby, accused the police of harassing their family. Eventually, the Broadduses hired a lawyer, Lee Levitt, who met with members of the Langford family as well as their attorney to show them the letters, along with photos explaining how their home was one of the few vantage points from which the easel could be seen. The Langfords continued to back up Michael, and the Broadduses were eventually forced to look at other suspects. The private investigator they had hired found two child sex offenders within a few blocks. Bill Woodward, the Broaddus' house painter, had also noticed something odd. The couple behind 657 Boulevard kept a pair of lawn chairs strangely close to the Broaddus' property. Woodward, who spoke to New York Magazine, said that, One day, I was looking out the window, and I saw this older guy sitting in one of the chairs. Only, he wasn't facing his house. He was facing the Broadduses. By the end of 2014, however, the investigation had stalled. In December, the Westfield police told the Broadduses they had run out of options. The watcher had left no fingerprints and no way to place him or herself at the scene of a crime that could have been hatched from pretty much any mailbox in northern New Jersey. Derek even showed the letters to his priest, who agreed to bless the house. Six months had passed since the first letter arrived. The Broadduses had installed a new alarm system and finished all their renovations. But the idea of moving in filled them with anxiety. They wondered if they'd ever feel comfortable letting their kids out of their sight, or how they could ever invite friends over. On top of everything, the watchers seemed to be getting more and more unhinged. Here again is Edward October from Octoberpod. Maybe a car accident. Maybe a fire. Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. You wonder who the watcher is? Turn around, idiots. With the stress of it all affecting their marriage and their mental and physical health, Derek and Maria finally put the house on the market. They asked for a bit more than they had paid because they thought their renovations would raise the value. 
They wanted to be honest with potential buyers, so they told them all about the bizarre watcher letters. But because of this, all offers fell through. On June 2nd, 2015, a year after buying 657 Boulevard, the Broadduses filed a legal complaint against the Woodses, arguing that the Woodses should have disclosed the letter, just like they had the fact that water sometimes got in the basement. The Broaddus kids still didn't know about the Watcher, and Maria and Derek hoped to reach a quiet settlement. Their hopes were dashed when a local reporter caught wind of the story, and soon the story went viral. News trucks camped out at 657 Boulevard, and one local reporter set up a lawn chair to conduct his own watch. The Broadduses got more than 300 media requests, but they decided not to speak publicly to spare their kids even more attention. They moved from Westfield and went to a friend's beach house. Eventually, Derek and Maria told their kids the real reason they hadn't moved into their home. Can you imagine having that conversation with a five-year-old? Derek told New York Magazine. Quote, Your town isn't as safe as you think it is, and there's a boogeyman obsessed with you. Meanwhile, in Westfield, people were definitely on edge. Some in the community even began to wonder if the Broadduses were sending the letters to themselves to get out of a house that they couldn't afford. Or, as Wiedemann's piece in New York Magazine reports, Derek was, quote, cooking up some kind of insurance fraud. Or they were trying to get a movie deal. Which, to be fair, the Broadduses did receive several offers, but they turned them all down. With all of the national news coverage around this case, Baron Chambliss, a Westfield police detective, was asked to investigate. Chambliss knew the police had looked closely at Michael Langford, but he discovered that authorities had eventually conducted a DNA analysis on one of the envelopes and determined that the DNA belonged to a woman. Chambliss decided to look more closely at Abby Langford, Michael's sister who worked as a real estate agent. Maybe she was upset about missing a commission right next door? She also worked at a local woman's clothing store, and Chambliss asked a security guard there to grab her plastic water bottle during a shift. But Chambliss found that the DNA sample wasn't a match. Not long after this, the prosecutor's office gave Derek and Maria some shocking news. They wouldn't say why or how, but they had ruled out the Langfords as suspects. The Broadduses were stunned, but without a suspect, they reopened their own personal investigation. A neighbor across the street was the CEO of the security firm Kroll, and the Broadduses hired the company to look for handwriting matches, but they found nothing. They also hired Robert Leonard, a renowned forensic linguist, who didn't find anything when he checked local online forums for similarities to the Watcher's writing. Although, he did think the author might watch Game of Thrones. I think this is because Jon Snow is one of the Watchers on the wall. Derek was desperate. At one point, he even talked a friend into connecting him with a hacker, 
willing to try breaking into Wi-Fi networks in the neighborhood to look for anything suspicious, but it turned out to be both illegal and more difficult than they thought, so they didn't go through with it. Wiedemann's piece for New York Magazine tells us that Chambliss and the Westfield police were also back at square one. The cops asked Andrea Woods for a DNA sample and interviewed her 21-year-old son, who was surprised to find that he suddenly seemed to be a suspect. Chambliss didn't have a lot to go on, but he did find something that the initial investigation missed. Around the time that the Broadduses had received their first letter, another family on the same street got a similar note from the watcher. The parents of that family had lived in their house for years, and their kids were grown, so they threw the letter away just as the Woodses had. But after the news broke, one of their children posted about it on Facebook, then later deleted the post. When investigators spoke to the family, they confirmed that the letter had been similar to the Broadduses, but because the letter had been thrown away, police weren't able to analyze it. One night, Chambliss and a partner were sitting in the back of a van parked on the Broadduses' street, watching the house through a pair of binoculars. Around 11 p.m., a car stopped in front of the house long enough for Chambliss to get suspicious. He traced the car to a young woman in a nearby town whose boyfriend lived on the same block as 657 Boulevard. The woman told Chambliss her boyfriend was into some really dark video games, including one that he played as a specific character, The Watcher. As for the female DNA, Chambliss figured the girlfriend or someone else could have helped. The boyfriend was living somewhere else at the time, but he did agree to come in for an interview on two separate occasions. He never showed up either time. Chambliss didn't have enough evidence to order him to comply, and with the media attention dying down, he dropped the case and moved on. Meanwhile, during all this investigating, the Broadduses still had to figure out what to do with the 657 Boulevard. In 2016, the Broadduses made an effort to have the house torn down and redevelop the lot. Their plans weren't approved, but a final letter from the Watcher arrived, threatening to harm them if they had the house torn down. Here's Edward October again. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient, and wait for this to pass, and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again, like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. 
Stop changing it and let it alone. In 2017, a New Jersey judge threw out the Broaddus' lawsuit against the Woodses, saying it could set an unreasonable precedent for what sellers would have to disclose. After years on the market, the Watcher House finally sold in 2019, with the Broaddus' taking a $440,000 loss. The range of suspects include a spurned realtor, a local high schooler's creative writing project, intense marketing for a horror movie, a jilted mistress, and, quote, mall goths having fun. Derek and Maria did finally have a home inspector take a look at the house's walls, but the only problem he found was the aging home's lack of insulation. I'll leave you with one last bit of interesting information about the neighbors of 657 Boulevard. New York Magazine tells us that an elderly couple behind the house had been there for 47 years. The husband was the man that the painter, Bill Woodward, had seen sitting in a lawn chair looking at the Broaddus' house. One of their kids had married a man who grew up in, of all places, 657 Boulevard. The Broadduses sent new names to the investigators whenever they found something odd, but their greatest fear was that the Watcher could be someone they'd never suspect. What do you think? Who was the Westfield Watcher? Were Derek and Maria behind the whole thing themselves? Find us on Instagram at Straight Up Enigmas or Twitter at Straight Enigmas and let us know. If you like the show, please remember to hop onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to give us a five-star rating and review. It really helps the podcast and it helps others find our show. This episode was produced and edited by me, Jaden McKell. The theme song Straight Up Enigmas was created by Chuck Flyer. You can find links to all the articles we utilized in our research and narration in the show notes. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you on the next episode of Straight Up Enigmas. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.